Amen. You may be seated for a while. Lord, can you hear me? I'm here, fighting, pressing to remember what you said. But this onslaught of thoughts fills my head with dread and I need you. Like enemies encamped, shrouded in the dark, I can feel the fascination of too many temptations reaching for my heart. So I need you to hear me. For I know your ears are attentive to the righteous and I know that your ways are certain. Even when my worries would trample me to dust, still, I know you are good. Your hand is just. So come now, be the salvation for my sins. Help me to begin again that you would mend this trend of hopelessness. God, deliver me in my brokenness. I can feel your presence, even now in the ugly, in the mess that has been made. You surround me with your benevolence. Yes, your love is on display, and I can see it. Carving roads through the struggles and the troubles, past temptations and devices that seek to choke me out. So come fear, come failure, come opposition or doubt. Jesus, you are my deliverance. Your grace is sufficient. Trusting you is my only way out. Now I turn my mind to dwell on your truth. Curate the condition of my heart to manifest joy. Be my living proof. Subdue the haters, quell the voices inside, transform me, Lord, extinguish my pride. You've won the battle, I trust in your plans. Yes, God, I surrender all my worries, my woes, and my demands into your eternally capable hands.
troubles shall come. I know that He has strengthened His own. The scandal of grace He died in my place, so my soul will live. Oh, to be like you, be all I
second verse. Come on. Above all names, come on. It's the name above all names, and worthy of all praise. My heart would sing how great is our God. It's the name above all names. question for you and this requires a response okay I have a question for you if somebody were to ask you how great is your God what would you say one at a time okay I, I guess we're done some people have to just do too much right? who else who else what would you say yeah, yeah, awesome. Infinity and beyond. Who else? Who else? Yes. Words cannot express. So he doesn't want us to talk. Frank doesn't want us to talk. Yes, Jamie. Unimaginable. Unimaginable. I really like that. Yes. Who else? Explicable, okay. Yes. yes. All right. Now yes. describe it. Yes. Yes, Patty. Bigger than any problem in the world. Yes. See, I like that. Yes. Yes. Yes, Janet. Greater than my needs. 
Yes, greater than thy needs. Amen. Amen. Can everybody say amen for that? Amen. Yes, brother Pete. You were just amen. Anybody else? All right, everybody say amen. Amen. Good morning to you. Really good to have you at Hillside this morning. I'm Dan Seit, senior pastor here at the church. And if you've been around Hillside for a while, you know we have a great tradition where when our kids turn uh, six or so, they make it to the first grade, we give them a special gift, uh, a gift of a Bible. And uh, usually we do this on one Sunday of the year. We kind of gather them all up. And in this time of COVID craziness, we're kind of sprinkling these presentations throughout the year. And uh, usually we do it with first graders. Today we have a second grader who fell through the cracks. So we're going to take care of that today. Logan Exberger, would you come on up here? I know you're here. Yeah. Come on up, Logan. Yeah. It is so good to see you. Hey, would you feel comfortable pulling your mask down so we can see your face? Yeah, just so we can see you. Yeah. It is so good. To have, yeah, go ahead. You can communicate how much. It is so good to have you up here. And I want to say I've, I've met you before. I'm really overjoyed to get to talk to you again. You and I have something in common. We are both twins. You have a twin sister, right? Her name is? Charlotte. Charlotte, that's right. I think we gave her her Bible a while back. I have a twin brother. His name is Darren. One of these days, the four of us need to get together for pizza and talk twin stories. Would you be up for that? Okay. All right. Yeah. It is so good to have you up here. And we've got a special gift for you from the church family, but I just want to say two things to you first. And I, I really hope that these sink in. And this morning, when we were praying, uh, every, every morning at 8 o'clock in Bergeson, we pray for the service, Pastor Floyd and Janet and I and some other people who come in. And this morning, we prayed for you, and we prayed that this morning would be memorable for you. And uh, we pray that you would remember this moment. But we want to say two things to you, and I'm saying this on behalf of all of Hillside. We love you. We really do. We view you as a treasure, as a gift from God to us. And we want you to know that here at Hillside, you are as important as every other Hillsider. I mean, you're young, you're second grade. You are every bit as important as people who have been here for 50 years. Uh, you're a treasure, and we want you to know that. You're a first-class Hillsider. And then the second thing we want you to know is this gift we're giving you is really the very best gift that we could give you. We really want you to know that because if you take this home and you begin to read it and you begin to absorb it, you know what will happen? You'll grow wise. And even more than that, you will encounter in the words of this book, the word, Jesus himself, because he's here in these words. And when you read them, you encounter Jesus, the one who loves you and died for you and then rose again, and the one who is now the king of the whole world and who's someday going to come back, and he loves you. And what he wants more than anything for you to, to grow, to know him and to love him and to serve him with everything that God has given you. And just by looking at you, I can tell that God has given you a lot. Am I right? So anyway, here's your Bible. 
Take it from the church that loves you, and I'm going to pray a special blessing on you right now. Okay, it's heavy, isn't it? There's a lot in there. All right, let me pray. Dear Father, we are so thankful to have Logan Exberger here in our church family. He is so important. He is a wonder. He's handmade by you. You have called him to very particular purposes in the world. And you have given us a gift in placing him in this family. And Father, our prayer is that like a seed going into the ground and coming up a beautiful oak, we pray that the words of this Bible would go into Logan's heart and up from his heart would be something strong and stately and beautiful. And we thank you in advance for how your spirit is going to shape Logan as he reads this with other hillsiders in community and as he seeks to live in response. We love you, and we're so thankful for this time, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks so much, Logan. Bless you, huh? All right. You can give him another hand. Sounds good. Good job. Some of you know that uh, Stephen and I just got back from a week in Chicago. We were at the Evangelical Covenant Church Midwinter Conference. It was really a rich experience. For most of the 900 people who were there, it's a, it's a you know inspirational event for Stephen and me. It was all books and school in the basement, the dark basement, no windows, but still very, very uh, enriching. It was Stephen's last class before graduating with his MA. Yeah, he's worked very hard. And uh, it was my second of four covenant orientation classes. As you know, I'm ordained as a Baptist, and when you called me, we agreed, and I agreed to this joyfully, with great enthusiasm, that I would transfer my ordination to the covenant. That involves four classes and a handful of other meaningful activities, which I am well along. So I want to thank you. We both thank you for the support and prayers. We really appreciate it. And many of you did a lot of practical things to help while we were gone. In fact, I know Frank Canova uh, led toilet brush hockey for youth ministry this past week in Stephen's absence. So Josh and Drew said it was a wonderful, wonderful time. Uh, when we started the message series that we're in right now, Dream House, a study of wisdom from the Proverbs, I told you in week one that in week four, we would have a cow bear preaching to us. And we have a number of cow people. If I had said a former cow quarterback, that would have made it too easy. But this is the morning. It's Pete Stafford, who is just real extraordinary hillside leader. And he's going to be preaching this morning. And, and I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, a few more things before he comes up here. We're going to sing a song. Jane's got some important church life stuff for you. But I'm going to give you one quick children's ministry update. It's kind of appropriate uh, after giving Logan his Bible. Since August, as you know, Terry Hawkinson has been serving as our interim children's director. And she has done an extraordinary job. And yeah, that's really true. Yeah, that's right. We'll have more to say about that in coming weeks, but she's done a tremendous job. And because of her work and the work of the team, she's supporting and coaching 
Um, our hillside kids are further along the path of Christ-likeness. They really are. Uh, her term of service ends on February 13th, and after that, Allison Seitz will be taking the baton and serving as our next interim children's director while we go into this next phase of our children's director search. And Allison is really excited about getting to shepherd our kids, again, in partnership with the really outstanding children's ministry team that we have at Hillside. And about the children's director search, I want to tell you what's going on with that. We have an outstanding team up and running looking for our next director. It's a small team, but it's an excellent team chaired by Jenny LaSalle and Kate Canova. And yeah, and they are hard at work in finding the next person who will mobilize Hillside to shape our kids into light bearers. And I want you to know, after several months of thought and prayer and discernment and consideration, we have a strong sense, a very strong sense of who we're looking for. And we're looking for someone who has a very particular set of gifts, ones that we've identified, and ones that are necessary for mobilizing the team of children's ministry workers that's going to be essential for us to really accomplish our Be Light in the World mission. We're going to need to become a magnet church for children's ministry, a church that is expert at bringing kids into our family and shaping them to know and to love Jesus, and we're determined to do that as God gives us strength. Here's how you can help. First, pray for Jenny and pray for Kate and pray for uh, other people who are helping them on this team. Second, talk to Jenny and Kate about what's important to you. Right now, we're in the phase of soliciting feedback from you uh, about what you're interested in, and specifically about what you might think of the template uh, that we've created for this new director. We want to hear from you, and we will make house calls. And then lastly, you can help by opening your heart to the possibility of serving in children's ministry, not just when the new director comes, but starting now. You know, there's really nothing more important here for accomplishing our mission than passing down the faith to our kids. That's absolutely central. There's nothing you could do here that would be more, more important than that. And the commitment is very reasonable and it's joyful because you're well supported. So those are the ways that you can help us. And when the new director comes, I'm gonna ask often that we jump into children's ministry, that we make it a feature ministry of Hillside where kids come in, and they grow up under our shepherding to know Jesus, to be wise in the faith, to be innocent of a lot of ideologies in the world that degrade them and distort them, and to love Jesus with their whole hearts, minds, and souls. I'm going to be asking all of us to jump into that, and I'm going to be at the very forefront of that. All right? Let's pray uh, for our search team and the next phase of our search in children's ministry. Father... We're excited about what you have in store for Hillside when it comes to children's ministry. And I know that you're going to make this place a magnet church, a city on a hill for children's ministries, a place where kids of every background and temperament 
and gift set can come and are loved into your family and shaped to be like your son. Thank you for Terry's superb service. Thanks for Allison's enthusiasm and readiness to take up the baton. Thanks for Jenny and Kate's leadership in identifying the director you've chosen to take us to new children's ministry heights. And we thank you in advance for how you will provide. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Jane, come on up. Good morning, everyone. My name's Jane DeYoung, and I'm your care pastor here at Hillside. And it's just good to see you all this morning. Just want to bring a few church life activities that are happening and let you know about them. This Saturday morning, our anti-trafficking team is uh, hosting a seminar that's focusing on labor trafficking and how to identify it in our own communities. Um, it'll feature some really well-informed speakers and a representative from the county's DA's, DA's office as well. So you can register online and try to do that by um, tomorrow so they can be prepared for the number of people. But it is this coming Saturday in the morning. And believe it or not, the season of Lent is um, almost upon us. And I always like to take a minute to explain Lent because it's kind of a churchy sort of word. And not all of us grew up in a churchy environment. So um, it's kind of nice to know what we're talking about here on Lent. But it's beautiful. And this year I'm going to quote something from a children's website that's kind of an encyclopedia website. And it describes Lent in the following way. Lent is a Christian tradition that dates back to 325 A.D., it is a period of about six weeks, starting on Ash Wednesday and leading up to Easter. It is a time in which Christians are supposed to be quiet and thoughtful. You can tell this was written by a parent. <laughs> and prepare themselves for Easter. They should pray a lot, give money to charities, and give up some of the things they might otherwise do for pleasure. Definitely written by a parent. <laughs> But it's largely accurate. It kind of captures the, the idea of what Lent's all about. So it begins on Ash Wednesday, which this year is March 2nd. And our tradition here at Hillside is to observe the Lenten season in our worship and also by having a worship service on Ash Wednesday to mark the beginning of this very special season. And um, the service often involves placing ashes on the forehead. And many of you may have seen that or participated in that. And I just wanted to let you know that that is a tradition that goes back well into the Old Testament. And we see it in Job and several other books of the Old Testament. The association of ashes and marking oneself with ashes as a sign of repentance. And that's really kind of Lent is a focus on that as we come up to Easter and understand what Jesus has done for us. Repentance is a good place to be anchored in as we do that. <clears throat> so this year, our service, Ash Wednesday, will be on March 2nd at 7 p.m. And on the Sundays during Lent, starting the Sunday after Ash Wednesday, we are going to gather here for a single worship service at 10 a.m. Several churches in the area are doing this just to mark the Lenten season. And I think it's going to be really good to have us all together during this sort of special uh, season as we anticipate our wonderful 
Easter time. So you can mark your calendars for both of those. Wednesday, March 2nd, 7 p.m. is the Ash Wednesday service. And then Sunday, starting March 6th and through April 10th, there will be one service at 10 o'clock here at Hillside. And of course, Easter will be celebrated on April 17th, kind of late this year. And that day we'll be going back to two services at 9 and 11. So those uh, are one more announcement that I want to let you know. If your talents happen to lie in music, dry mouth here, um, whether it's vocal or instrumental, consider auditioning for our Sunday worship team. These folks get a little tired, and they like to have a, <laughs> some others who can back them up occasionally. And so if you're interested in that, um, just let Daniel know, our, our handsome worship director over here. He gave me that adjective, actually. <laughs> and several others, but I'm limiting it to just handsome. <laughs> so now is our time where we go um, and bring our gifts to God. And for those of us who consider Hillside our church home, this is a part of how we worship God. And I like it because it's such a concrete, um, practical way of worshiping and honoring God. And if this is your first time that you're going to be um, offering or contributing to the offering, I just want to say good for you. You know, it's a, it feels really special to be able to give something to our maker and to know that um, that will be used for his purposes um, throughout, throughout the year. And uh, we no longer pass a plate but we do have offering baskets by both of the exit doors in the back. And you can also use the website app, excuse me, the Hillside app or the website. Let's pray together. Loving God, we pray that our church here will be a place where we learn about love and practice it and where we envision peace and work to build it and where we meet partners in faith and cherish them where we discover our gifts and offer them in service. May your spirit guide us toward joy and generosity. In the name of your beloved Son and our gracious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. cracks upon my heart Save my tears inside the jar You see beyond my veiled smile As a father knows his child You take home my brokenness all my hurt and all my mess every piece in faithful hands and somehow make me whole again oh, oh.
there to show me grace A thousand times I've been let down Redeem the hurt I found. Oh. You take off my brokenness, all my hurt and all my mess. Every piece in faithful hands.
Well, good morning, Hillside. It is great to be with you this morning. But I must confess, there have been times over the last month and a half where I was actually dreading this particular assignment. In fact, I even verbalized a complaint to our beloved senior pastor. I said, Dan, what did I do to deserve this? He says, what do you mean, Pete? I said, Dan, my teaching assignment, you've given me the responsibility of teaching on the fear of God. In fact, you're asking me to preach the fear of God into my friends here at Hillside. And Dan, being the inspirational leader that he is, he replied to me, oh yeah, that's going to be a tough one. (laughs) But if we're going to take our... uh, our work as we work through this uh, book of wisdom, if we're going to take it seriously, then it's a very important one. So it's great to be with you this morning. Um, I'm excited to be up here. I've gotten through my dread, Dan, and now I'm excited about the message that God has for us this morning. Um, In our study of Proverbs thus far, Dan kicked it off three weeks ago by helping us understand what wisdom promises. And then two weeks ago, he taught on what wisdom is. And do you remember the surfing analogy where he said wisdom, living in wisdom is like um, living in sync with the creation, living life in the flow. And then um, David Nystrom last week spoke from Proverbs 31, and he taught us all that wisdom encompasses. And today, we're going to consider where wisdom starts. The fundamental claim of Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, is that wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord. To better understand this claim and to understand how to cultivate this fear of the Lord in our lives, we're going to need to first understand what it is, and then we're going to need to get through some of the challenges that that we face with respect to this fear of the Lord. Let me give you a couple of examples. First of all, the word fear. It's one of those words that has kind of, it's, it's got this electric response that causes us to, to react adversely to it. Secondly, when you think of the word fear in the Bible, you typically think of it as something to be avoided. There's the, uh, you know, the, the, the commandment that we most often hear in the Bible is fear not. Um, the Apostle John told us, that perfect love casts out fear. The, uh, the Apostle Paul commands us that we should be anxious for nothing. And when we think about our current climate and we think about this kind of haze and fog and cloud of fear that is out there and the fact that fear is on the rise and then you have this person coming up here, this knucklehead, trying to tell you to take on yet another fear. It's a, it gives us this pause this morning. So before I lose you completely this morning, note what uh, Oswald Chambers said back in the late, early 1900s. He said, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else, whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Gallop. The Public Opinion Polls Company um, annually presents a report titled the Negative Experience Index. It's a report that measures the degree of fear and worry 
and anxiety and sadness that's out there across the world. They pull adults from over a, a hundred nations. Uh, guess what the latest poll reveals? It reveals that fear is on the rise. Next slide, please. I don't know if you can see that, but no, right there. So beginning in 2014, there's been a steady climb of fear and sadness and worry and anxiety as far as this report is concerned. What are we afraid of? What gives us so much fear? Well, Chapman University uh, annually publishes a list of America's top fears. They pull um, um, over 1,000 Americans every year. And here's what the 2020-2021 results reveal. So Americans are afraid of corruption in government. They're afraid for their loved ones. They're afraid of COVID-19 and the variants of COVID-19. We're afraid for our economy and we're afraid for our planet. One of my boys, when he was a preschooler, was afraid of clowns. I was surprised, but it showed up number 94 on the list. <laughs> My wife, Sally, I asked her, she said when she was a little girl, she was afraid of wild elephants. Kind of strange for an American, but um, if you're afraid of spiders and snakes, uh, that, those showed up number 67 and number 70 in the, on the report. Anyone share my fear? I've got this fear of being stuck in confined places. That, come, that comes in number 81 on the list. All that to say that if we're going to gain a healthy understanding of the fear of the Lord this morning, I, need, I would like to just first give you three observations. First, the word, the phrase, the fear of the Lord is pervasive throughout our scriptures. Secondly, it's important to distinguish between two types of fears. There's a healthy fear and an unhealthy fear. And then thirdly, and perhaps more, most importantly, the fear of the Lord is an emotional response. I need to get my Bible out here, and I'll probably need my glasses. I didn't need them, Dan, last time I preached up here. <laughs> Open with me to Proverbs 1, the beginning of the book. This is on the subject that the fear of the Lord is pervasive throughout scriptures. The first, first we see in verse one, the title of, of, of Proverbs. Proverbs 1.1, 1, 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. There's seven other titles like that. You can see it in the first, chapter, first verse of chapter 10, even what we saw last week in the first verse of chapter 31. Notice then in verses two through six, the purpose of the Proverbs. You see all these two as if in order to. Verse two, to know wisdom and instruction. Verse three, to receive instruction and wise behavior. Verse four, to receive, to give prudence to the naive. And then in verse six, to understand a proverb in a figure. And then comes verse seven, kind of coming out conspicuously like a, like a sore thumb. Here's what it says in verse seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then beginning at verse 8 and running all the way, flip with me, to chapter 9. You, you see the first collection of wisdom sayings and wisdom speeches. 
Proverbs is a collection of collections, and this is the first collection. And then coming at the end of that first collection, verse 10 of chapter 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So you have this this first collection of wisdoms, and it is bracketed by a pair of, by twins, one seven and nine ten. Proverbs show, has the fear of the Lord showing up quite frequently. Not, there's another 12 times when you'll see it. For example, in, in chapter 8, I see the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. I flip the page and I see in chapter 10, verse 21, the fear of the Lord prolongs life. I flip the page again, I see he who walks upright in his uprightness fears the Lord. It shows up enough times so that the student of wisdom is never to forget that the fear of the Lord is not something that can be attained by humanistic efforts. There's no such thing, folks, as a top, as, as, as um, I'm sorry, there's no such thing as five easy steps to attaining godly wisdom. I'm going to move my Bible here for a second. Notice also that uh, the fear of the Lord makes guest appearances in other wisdom books of the Bible. Job 28, verse 28, And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Psalm 110, I'm sorry, Psalm 111, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then um, in the book of Ecclesiastes, that book that talks about life under the sun or the vanities of life apart from God, this is how Solomon sums it all up. In Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments. This is what um, our Bible also says about Jesus as it relates to the fear of the Lord. Look at Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 and 3. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord And the fear of the Lord will be his delight. Jesus not only had the the spirit of the fear of the Lord on him, it was his very delight. And then Jesus speaking of the fear of the Lord in Matthew 10, when he was warning his disciples of the persecution to come, said this, And do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and soul and body. So that's my first point. The fear of the Lord, it's not stuck in some corner of our scriptures. It shows up throughout. And if um, you're happening to be studying the gospel, as we are right now, the gospel of Mark on our Monday night men's study, and you see Jesus in operation, you see the fear of the Lord operating on every page of the gospels. Second observation, as we're tracing the fear of the Lord through scriptures, we notice very quickly that there are two kinds of fear of the Lord. There is a healthy fear of the Lord and there's an unhealthy fear of the Lord. There's a good fear of the Lord and there's a sinful fear of the Lord. The first time we see the fear of the Lord in our Bibles, it's in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve have just sinned. They become aware of their nakedness. They're walking in the garden. They hear God walking in the garden and they hear calling out, where are you? And here's how, he, here's how Adam responds. 
Genesis 3, verse 10. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was yare. That's the Hebrew word. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. An unhealthy fear of the Lord is a response to God that causes us to move away from him. It's a response that causes us to hide from him. A healthy fear of the Lord, on the other hand, is a fear that moves us closer to God, not farther away. It's a fear that helps us seek him and not try and hide from him. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said in a famous sermon titled, A Fear to be Desired. He said, this healthy fear is a fear that leans toward the Lord, a fear that fears toward him. Notice some of these other passages that talk about the healthy fear of the Lord. Psalm 112, verse 1, presents the healthy fear of the Lord as a beatitude. Praise the Lord, blessed, happy is the person who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Hear the prophet Isaiah in chapter 60, verse 5. Then you will see and be radiant, and your heart will thrill. That's the Hebrew word, pachad. And rejoice, because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you, and the wealth of the nations will come to you. Also, it's clear from John Newton's amazing grace that he had a good understanding of the healthy fear of the Lord versus the unhealthy fear of the Lord when he wrote the line, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, healthy fear, and grace my fears, unhealthy fears, relieved." Final observation. The fear of the Lord is an emotional response to God. I've already shared with you a couple of the words. There's three words in your Bible for fear. There's the Old Testament word, yare. Say it with me, yare. And there's the, uh, the Old Testament word, pachad. Say it with me, pachad. Those two words show up almost 400 times in the Old Testament. There's also the New Testament word, which we get our word phobia from, the word phobos or phobeo. And that shows up another 140 times. So what causes the confusion is that the same word for fear can be used of both positive and negative experiences. So what is it about uh, this word that can be used for such opposing uh, experiences? Well, it's the fact that these words are describing an emotional reaction or an emotional response or a physical experience. Let me give you an example. About two months ago, I was on a plane flight returning from Las Vegas to San Francisco. I was at a conference that our, uh, my, the company I work for hosted, and I sat down next to a man named David. David also attended the conference. What David and I didn't know is that we were about to share the same physical response with two very different fears. In this case, both of the negative kind. So I've already confessed to you number 81, right? The, the fear of being confined in tight places. As it turned out, David had a different fear. He had the one that showed up number 85 on the list. He had the fear of flying. So after chit-chatting and getting to know one another and climbing to what we thought was going to be 30,000 feet of uh, altitude for our cruising altitude, Something happened. At about halfway up, the plane slowed down, leveled off, and that created an initial response, like a physical response, 
both for David and I. And as we started going in circles over the Mojave Desert, just west of Las Vegas, the captain came on the intercom and he said, well, folks, our airplane's flaps are stuck in the open position. We are not going to be heading on to San Francisco. We're going back to Las Vegas. And that's when that body chemistry really began to rev up for both of us. And that's a good thing. Our bodies were made that way. We're, we're, we're made to have that fight or flight response when we sense, when we sense danger coming. Um, when in danger, our bodies send out these hormones like adrenaline, which causes our blood to pump, our heartbeat to increase, our, our blood pressure to go up, our eyes to begin to dilate. Same physical response, two very different kinds of fears. David had that irrational fear that we were going to crash and die. I thought that was silly because after all, when you, when you land, you use the flaps anyhow, right? I had the much more serious fear. I was afraid that we were going to safely land. And then upon landing, we were going to get stuck on the tarmac all night long, having to wear a mask <laughs> inside this crowded fuselage. You know, there's people out there that are addicted to the rush that fear brings. We actually have a name for them. What do we call them? We call them thrill seekers. These are the kinds of people that get on planes in order to jump out of them. These are the kinds of people that love roller coasters, that binge watch horror movies. Have you noticed that because we have this aversion to the word fear, that we tend to anesthetize that phrase, fear of the Lord, with substitute words. We say that we have a respect for God. We say that we have a reverence for God. And don't get me wrong, those are good words. Those are healthy words. But I've always found them to fall a little bit short of the kind of emotional response that a healthy fear of the Lord deserves. A healthy fear of the Lord is a trembling, rejoicing, heart-pounding, blood-pumping, delight-filled response to God. Listen to these passages around a healthy emotional response of a healthy fear of the Lord. Psalm 2, verse 11. Serve the Lord with reverence, yirah, and rejoice with trembling. Dan, you taught us that word rejoice a few weeks ago. It's the Hebrew word gil, which means to twirl. So I could read this passage, uh, serve the Lord with fear and twirl with trembling. Jeremiah 33, 9, speaking of the coming days of the new covenant, he says, and they will fear Pakad and tremble because of all the good and all the peace that I will make for them. Jeremiah 33, 9. And then on that amazing morning, the morning where the women went to the tomb and found the tomb to be empty. This is how Matthew in verses 28 through 8 describes it. And they, they left the tomb quickly with phobos, with fear and great joy and strolled on home. No, they ran to go tell the disciples the good news. Why such a movement of emotional response? 
It has everything to do with the object of our fear. It is because of who we fear and what he is and what he does for us that causes such a trembling, rejoicing, fearful, fear-filled, delight-filled response. The great theologians and preachers over the last 400 years, the Calvins, the Bunyans, the Luthers, the Spurgeons, they all agree that of all the divine attributes of God, there are two that stand out and are foremost in shaping the development of a true knowledge of God, which in turn allows for a, a healthy, fearful response to God. And these two attributes are God the Creator and God the Redeemer in Christ. God the Mighty One, God the Merciful One. As we sang earlier, Jesus, the Lion of Judah, Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. God the Great One, as we sang in our first song, how great is our God. God the Great One and God the Good One. King David understood the greatness of God, the Creator, when he wrote in Psalm 8, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you've set in place, what is man that you are thoughtful of him? David understood that God was God and that he was not. And he also understood the goodness of God when he wrote in Psalm 51, be gracious to me, God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Heber got it right when he wrote, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, and added the words merciful and mighty, and the words perfect in power and in love and in purity. This, my friends, is why we so appreciate our worship team. Christianity is the most singing of all religions. It is a singing religion. And that is because our souls long to give this fearful, this delight-filled, trembling, rejoicing response to our God. Well, there's a football game going on this afternoon. It's going to take me a sermon, another sermon, which we don't have time for. But I do want to just do a quick drive-by on three Proverbs that speak to this idea of cultivating the fear of the Lord. Next slide. I love these, these three Proverbs because they're all riddles. All of them uh, are constructed with that parallelism and with two balanced lines separated by an and or separated by a but, where the second line adds more insight and nuance to the first line. Proverbs 15 33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility. What I see in this proverb is that we cultivate a fear of the Lord by a constant intake of godly instruction. Dan prepares a message for us in humility, and we are to receive that message with a humble ear. Next proverb. Here's the contrast. You'll see the but in the middle of two balanced lines. How blessed, this is a beatitude. How blessed is the person who fears always, but one who hardens his heart will fall into disaster. Notice how 
There's a blessedness in a disaster. There is a person who is fearing the Lord and there is a person who is hard-hearted. It is, it is the tender heart that it goes along with the humble ear that allows for us to cultivate that fear of the Lord. It was the tender heart of Jesus in action when he was in that garden and prayed that prayer. Lord, if possible, let this cup pass for me. But nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. And then, and then the, third, the third parable. Dan, this is one that I've put in my, written down and put in my pocket. It is a riddle that you need to come back to and look at over and over again. You'll never figure it out entirely, but you'll start to marinate on it and it'll start to grow on you. I love this proverb because it's really, um, it's a proclamation in advance of the good news of Jesus Christ. Look at it with me. Mercy and truth and keeping away from evil. In the first line, you have something speaking about salvation. In the second line, you have something speaking about sanctification. The first line, it seems that we're speaking of God's activity. The second line seems to be speaking about our activity in fearful response to his activity. In Jesus, while remaining true, the word true, while remaining true to the demands of the law, God, out of his great mercy, atoned for sin. No person ever balanced and blended mercy and truth, as did Jesus. John writes that he became flesh and he dwelled among us, and we saw his glory. And what did we see? We saw one full of grace and truth. No place ever balances mercy and truth, as did the cross, as Paul reminds us that God was demonstrating his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So last line, why should we keep away from evil? Is it because we are afraid that if we ever sin, God is going to punish us and condemn us? No, that is an unhealthy fear born out of an inaccurate understanding of who he is. It is because of a thrilling, trembling, rejoicing fear of the Lord in response to this mercy and love toward us that we have inside of us this great desire to be pleasing to him in all that we do. And it is this love that ignites in our hearts a, a, a fearful desire to, get this, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And it is this fear that is the beginning of wisdom. Let me pray. Lord God, we praise you for your greatness and we praise you for your goodness. Continue to bless us with your revelation and cause, us to, cause it to produce in us an ever more healthy and affectionate fear of you. Help us, Lord, to desire to be more like you, to be holy as you are holy, to be truthful as you are truthful, to be merciful as you are merciful. And it's in the merciful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.
souls of men. Oh, you rescued the souls of men. Comforter, keeper, keeper. Spirit, we long to embrace. You offer hope when our hearts have hopelessly lost our way. Oh, we've hopelessly lost our way. You are the one that we praise. You are the one we adore. You give the healing and grace. Our hearts always hunger for. Oh, our hearts always hunger of what they think you're like 
about an incredible opportunity that is available to you starting next Sunday. We're actually going to start our mission trip to the Dominican Republic right here in which service? The first? Both services. This is an opportunity for you to be a blessing and to receive a blessing as you connect with people that share our love for Jesus halfway around the world. So I invite you to be prepared to, to take advantage of that opportunity. Friends, the world has been throwing so many things at us that cause us and give us reason to fear. But while we are in the world, we are not of the world. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, and our ruler is alive, he's ruling, he's reigning, he's not afraid, he's already overcome the world, and he's telling us, to be courageous because he's already overcome the world. So let us make 
him the object of our fear, and let's allow that fear to chase all our other fears away. Amen. Amen.